glad to give you one. Get it and turn to Psalm 115, as we said. You got to wait before I can catch him, but if you see Peter Simons before the day is over, you may say to him, Congratulations, he was named Teacher of the Year at his school. I was named Man of the Year in Barton at one year, and that's because I moved. They said, well, thank you for moving out of town. We'll make you man of the year if you'll just leave. You ever see those signs you drive through, keep your community clean? If I was a juvenile delinquent, which I was at one time, and then I got promoted, but if I, if I lived in one of those communities said to keep your community clean, what I would do is take a peek of poster board, stick up underneath it, and write what on it? Move. So you get it? Keep your community clean, move. No one of those jokes that's not very funny, Never said it was funny, just a joke. Mary said, you, you got to stop like the, so I'll stop. All right. I have uh, genuinely, genuinely appreciate the, all the birthday wishes. Um, Sean Wynn, however, won the best one. He sent me a picture of Moses with the, uh, <laughs> with the Ten Commandments and said, this was your first book, wasn't it? Well, I thought that's pretty funny. When you came in today, did you get the Sanctity of Life? Hand out, if you get those, hold them up if you got them. All right. This is in relation to, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and as believers, obviously, uh, we believe in the sanctity of life. And Life Choices, who put this out, is one of our uh, mission efforts, one that we support as you give. We support Life Choices, and it's local here, and Wendy Quinn uh, works for them. And, and so we, the, the bottles we talked about last week that are in the lobby, that goes to Life Choices. And as I said, it's one of our missionaries. But if nothing else, I'd like you to do two things with this Sanctity of Life handout. Number one, maybe put it in your Bible with your devotional book, just as a reminder to pray for them. Uh, regularly, I keep missionaries all over my refrigerator, so every morning I see their smiling faces, and it reminds me to pray for them that day. And, and uh, I do usually right here in the kitchen as I'm making coffee and getting ready for the day. I'm praying for our missionaries. This is another one that you can do that. And pray for them and, and the great work that they do. And, and uh, it's uh, always important for us to remember how much God loves people. And uh, a fetus in the womb is a human being that God loves and knew about prior to the creation of the universe. And uh, abortion is a stain on the United States of America that uh, we will pay for one day. And uh, we just need to pray. And for someone who possibly has been through that, uh, they do some incredible counseling, and I've done some of that over the years myself with someone who has had an abortion in the past and that guilt and, and how Jesus can set you free from that just like he can the guilt of anything we do wrong, any sin. And so uh, take this and, and pray for them. I think, it, matter of fact, let's just pause and pray for them today before we get into the message. Lord, we thank you that you're outside time. You're the infinite, great, eternal, self-existent God, the, the I am who is our Father, and you know every human being, everything about them prior to birth, prior to conception, you knew, you know. And so, Father, we, we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for who you are. And we do pray for, for Life Choices as a mission effort that you would bless them both financially and, and uh, bring clients to them with lives that they can save both spiritually and physically. We pray you'd use them, and we thank you, Father, that we get to be part of that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you would turn to Psalm 115, if you have not already, if you'll notice, we began talking about, or we have been talking about the last couple of weeks, where's your God? That the pagans had approached Israel contextually, as Psalm 115 is written, probably after they came back from the Babylonian captivity, and were mocking them and saying, where's your God? You know, in the past, we, we heard he did some great things, and parting of the Red Sea, and what's he done for us lately? And where is he? And they were making fun of them, and the psalmist writes Psalm 115 as a reminder to Israel who their God is. And if you'll notice the title of today, today's message, it said, our God is what? All we need. Let me give you a little homework assignment to do. I know how much you love homework. These students over here going, what? Homework? In the margin of your notes, which I know you take home and you go over all week, you do not throw them in the garbage. I know that, and I appreciate that. Write Psalm 73. 
Psalm 73. We're not going to study Psalm 73 today, but it is, has become probably my favorite. I love to go to the Psalms, and that, that was the genesis of this particular little mini-series we're doing. We're going to wrap up today on Where's Your God, is that I love to read the Psalms for, on a personal level on a, for devotional purposes, for devotional purposes. And Psalm 73 has become one of my favorites, kind of a go-to thing for me as a reminder. As you walk through Psalm 73, it, the psalmist starts out saying simply what we do if we're honest in our hearts and sometimes just to each other, like, I'm wasting my time trying to live this Christian life thing because everybody around me is mocking God and they're doing a whole lot better than I am. And they're laughing at God. I'm wasting my time. Well, is it worth it? And then as you walk through Psalm 73 and you get to the latter part of it, the second half, it comes to this idea that I got alone with my God, and I realize what? He's all I need. You're all I need. I may be the only one in my circle, in my moment, that's honoring God, seeking to honor God, wanting to live for the Lord, believing in him, but that's okay. That's all I need. He's all I need. I think what happens in people's lives as believers is that we realize, and and Mary and I, in particular, have been going through that over the last couple of weeks. Her brother passed away. and It's always, death always brings you back. And the reason I love to officiate at funerals is that it brings you immediately back to what's really important in life, what's really significant, what are the eternal verities that matter. Because everybody's going to die. Nobody wants to. Jim's death was so sudden and so unexpected. And yet, God says, I'm going to work good in that. Is it hard? Is it difficult? No question. No question for us. But then God says, just remember, I want to use it. I will use it. I want to make good out of this. I'm always working good. That's what we're going to talk about today is there are times, particularly in the lives for us, we understand who our God is. But sometimes we forget to live in the reality of that. We're going to begin a series next week. I told you last week, we're going to begin a series next week looking at the attributes of who our dad is. And what's the title of the series? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Toby Keith will be here next week. He's going to open up. Who's your daddy? Because I think so often, I know as a young Christian because of the difficult home life that I had, it was so important to me that I knew that my heavenly father was all I needed. Sometimes you're in positions, places, circumstances that you don't like. All of, we could go around the room and everybody either has been, is right now, or you see it coming on the horizon. A difficult circumstance that you did not want to be in, do not wish you were not in, and sure are not looking forward to. But what God says is, I'm in the middle of it with you. I'm ahead of it. When you get there, I'm already going to be there. I'm doing something incredible. The theme of the entire Bible you can find in Habakkuk 2.4. Give you something else to do for homework. Habakkuk 2.4. And the theme of the Bible is that verse. The righteous shall live by faith. Live by faith. As I've said many times, that faith is not a blind leap in the dark. If I step off this platform having faith that I won't get hurt, guess what? I'm stupid because I'm going to get hurt. We had a basketball game yesterday and 15, 16-year-old boys, and I helped Cole Bryan coach the team, and, and only five boys were able to be there. So I told Cole, I said, you need to run to the bathroom and shave because you're in. I, could, I can't run to the bathroom and do anything. I can walk to the bathroom, but I ain't walking out on that court, so, you're gonna have, so you might be in. There's certain things I know I can't do. What do I know about my dad? There's nothing he can't do. And that I lean on him and I trust him. Not a blind leap in the dark like stupidity jumping off the stage. Not, you know, bringing a snake out, a rattler, and say, look here, I'm going to hold this rattlesnake. That's stupid. That's not faith. That's presumption. That's you telling God what he's going to do. Don't ever fall into that trap. I'm never going to tell God what to do. I'm going to call and say, Daddy, what do you want me to do? And then do it. Because he's not a religious option. He is the eternal self-existent one. He's the great I am. 
He's God. That's who your dad is. And next week, we're going to start looking at his attributes, and it will blow you away when you realize that simultaneously, he's all of these things. That's what it means to be infinite. And the other thing, and the reason the genesis of that series coming out of this devotional for me, that I really felt the Lord wanted me to share with you, is this. When you realize who your daddy is, it just brings a big smile to your heart all the time. Even though on your face, you may be facing difficulty and hurting and tough times, but you have the joy what the Bible calls the joy of the Lord. It's not being giggly and, and silly. It's resting in the reality that your God is real. I mentioned a great book to you. I want you to write down this book. It's an old book. You can find it probably very inexpensively. It's called The God Who Is There by Francis Schaeffer. Now, you need to be alone when you read this book. There needs to be nothing in the background Music, television, noise, maybe on an airplane going somewhere or get your audio. I don't know if you can get that audio book, but get it, take with you when you're going on a trip somewhere and just meditate on those incredible print. It's not, it's not easy to read. I'll be honest with you. It's like reading a textbook, but man, it is so powerful to remind you who your God is. So let's look at Psalm 115, starting in verse eight today. Realizing this principle as we wrap up this little devotional about where's your God? He's everywhere you need him to be. He's everything you need him to be. And he's always there. He doesn't take naps. He doesn't go on vacation. He's never not answering his texts and his email and his phone. He's always there. He's all we need. Look at verse 8 of Psalm 115. We talked about last week the idols, how they didn't have ears, they couldn't hear. They had noses, but they couldn't smell. They had eyes, but they couldn't see. Basically, they were useless. They didn't exist. They were dead. Human idols are dead. They are not real. They are not God. So verse 8. Those who make them, the human beings who make the idols, are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Here's what he's saying. He set up the context as we walk through this. If our trust as a human being, which is where the pagans were who were mocking Israel, their trust was in their idols. We talked about Molech. Molech, sacrificing infant children to him, that kind of thing. That their trust was in their idols, which they had made. And here's what he's saying. If you as a human being are trusting in a God that you've made, you are like those gods, spiritually. And we're not going to go back and execute what he said about the idols, but very simply, he's summing it up this way. If you are trusting in an idol that you made to be your God, you're just as dead spiritually as those idols are. They do not exist, but spiritually, you don't have a God if that's what you're trusting in. If Randy's trust as a human being is in the idol of self, I may be alive physically, but I'm dead spiritually because I'm not God. What are the two great truths at the universe? This will be the title of my funeral when you go. What are the two great truths at the universe of the universe? There is a God, and you ain't it. You ain't it. And you better be glad you're not. I am so glad that I'm not God. You know why? Because I know me. And I know how incapable I am of being righteous. I know how incapable I am of performing good. Now, I can altruistically as a human being do some good things, but I'm not God. I cannot redeem a soul. I can't change a man from lost and an enemy of God to his child by redemption. I can't walk on water. I can't raise a man from the dead. But my God did those things because he is God. I'm not. So here's what he's saying to set this up. If you're trusting in idols, you're dead, you're lifeless, you're blind, you're deaf, like all of you, you're dumb, you're insensitive, you're useless, you're powerless, you're mute, you're totally inept. Spiritually. Doesn't mean that you can't function. The vast majority of the human race functions. But if they're not in Christ, they are dead spiritually. By the way, that's the reason the church exists, is to go in all the world and do what? Make disciples of men, followers of Jesus Christ. Learner followers. Jesus in the book of Revelation to begin that amazing book in the message to the churches, repeatedly Jesus says these words. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because last week we were looking at the idol we made, that uh, Darren and I made, that beautiful idol that we created. Had some nice ears, probably big ones like mine, big nose like mine. 
The pretty stuff came from there, but the big ears and the nose of the idol we made had ears on it, but it couldn't what? Couldn't hear. What Jesus was saying, if you got ears, use them for the reason I gave them to you, listen to me. And then he, went, then he proceeded to give the great message to the churches in Revelation 1, 2, and 3. And he repeated this over and over in Revelation 1, 2, and 3, meaning it was real important to Jesus to get that point across. Pay attention when I talk. I got something for you to hear. Listen to me. I'm not talking just to hear, hear my gums flap in the wind. I want you to hear what I have to say because I am God speaking to you. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the principle that anything or anyone in my life, including myself, that I'm listening to instead of God, that's my idol. And I will do anything to placate my God, my idol, to get what I want. In other words, if whatever my idol is, my prayer to that idol is, I want my will, now you go do it. And by the way, to be real frank and real honest with you, there are many preachers and many philosophical constructs that call themselves Christians. That's exactly what they do. They say to you, to those who listen to them, and some of them have massive followings, that God will do anything you want him to do if you speak your reality in faith. If you believe it, God will do it. That's just as bad as creating an idol. Darren and I making an idol and saying this is our God, and yet it's called Christian, Christianity. Number one selling author in America is one of those. Not Christian author and selling, number one author. Satan loves that kind of stuff because it keeps you off, your focus off the person of Jesus Christ and submitting yourself. Jesus taught us how to pray. Did he ever say in teaching us how to pray, uh, your will be done? Said whose will be done? The Father's. Not mine. I don't tell the Father what to do and then he does it. By the way, if you've got children, do they tell you what to do? Now I know some do and Try to get away with it. But if you're a decent parent at all, do your children tell you what to do or do you what? You tell them. They can ask you. If, let's say you're 15. I have a 15-year-old granddaughter in the room. And she goes to her parents and says, I want a brand new car. I know her dad. And she might want that. She ain't getting it. She ain't getting it. I remember going to my dad when I turned 16 and I had an older brother that called created every problem any parent could ever have from selling drugs, stealing cars, going to jail. Uh, my dad has been just, he was, my brother was the quintessential hippie with the Woodstock. He did it all. So my dad's car went to Florida one weekend. I didn't do anything but play basketball all night. That's all I did. Worst thing I ever did was I played, I stayed up all night and played basketball. So when I turned 16, what did I expect? I'd like to get, now I expected a car, but I knew that wasn't going to happen. So all I asked for was my driver's license. Dad, could I get my driver's license? Do you know what he said? No. You're not driving my car. You better get a job if you ever want one of your own, but you're not getting your driver's license. I had to borrow, Mary and I started dating, I had to borrow Mary's parents' car, which was a, uh, like a 77, uh, 71, 2, 70, 70 Plymouth. It was about, about the length of this building. That's how long it was. So I go to get my driver's license in that Plymouth. And they said, parallel park it. I said, let's go on back. I failed. I tried. I ran over every cone they had on the parking lot, and then they hit something they hadn't put out yet. There was no way I was going to parallel park that yacht. And eventually, I got my license, but I wasn't allowed to drive. 18 years old with a job, I'm riding a bicycle to work. I'm cool, though. Mary and I had a date. We had to borrow her parents' car to date. She must have really loved me because I was useless when it came to being a boyfriend. I didn't have any money. Didn't have the capacity to get any. What did I have? I had a heavenly father that was looking out for me, taking care of me, loving me. I never told my dad what to do. I was terrified of my father. I didn't tell him what to do. I asked. And he said, no. But the principle is, you don't tell God what to do, you ask. You seek the Father's will. Why? Because I make mistakes. How many mistakes does my dad make? He's all you need. He's, his will is always perfect. You want to line up with his will because you can't go wrong doing that. I can sure go wrong doing what I want, and I have on so many occasions. I want to line up with his. 
you, not my will, Father, yours be done. The righteous shall live by faith. All right, get your hand out. So our God is all, I, all we need. First thing we need to see is that he's our trust. Verse 8. You notice he's going to address three groups of people here. Three groups. Those who make idols are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He's their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You have to understand Hebrew it's called parallelism. When stuff is repeated like this, it's very important. We'll talk about the help and shield in a moment. But he mentions three groups. Israel, the house of Aaron, and you who fear the Lord. He says to all three the same thing. But he mentions three groups. This is very significant in the nation of Israel. He says to Israel, you as my covenant chosen people, once I've called out through whom I'm going to reveal myself to the world, to you, I have a message. To, to the house of Aaron. House of Aaron would be their leadership. The high priests were descendants of Aaron. So if you were going to be in leadership for the nation of Israel, you had to be a descendant of Aaron. So he says to the nation of Israel, to the called out ones, those people. And then he says to the leadership of those people. And then he says to those who fear the Lord, those who are serious about your God, those who are serious about your faith. You see, in the nation of Israel, there were a lot of people. How many of them were genuine believers in the one true God? A small number. In the church, you have the visible church. Tons of people go to church. Not as many as used to, but a lot of people go to church in our country. Is every single person that's in a church building today born again? Of course not. Are they Christians? No. Some are seeking. Some are there because their wives said, you're going today. Others are there because their parents say, you're going today. We go to church. That's what we do. Why is it that the vast majority of people between 18 and 30 who grew up in church do not go? Number one, rather the fault of the church, that they've let them down. But a lot of it is they were just going to church when they were growing up. Why? Because their parents said, this is what we do. And you hope it's a Christian home and they're being taught truth and they choose to, then they get to college and they are, college or even just hit the workplace. They are bombarded with how stupid it is to be a Christian because they don't, and they don't really know what they believe. So he says to Israel, he says to the leadership, and then he says to those who fear the Lord, the true believers, I've got an exhortation for you. Three times he says it in those verses. Three groups he mentions, then three times he has an exhortation for them. Here's the exhortation. Trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. What's the theme of the entire Bible? Oh, I'm so hurt. It was five minutes ago. Now we're going to go back and start all over. Play that back, please. Habakkuk 2-4. Somebody got it. The righteous shall. I'm going to sing it if you don't get it right. You don't want me to sing it. The righteous shall live by faith. It's exactly what the psalmist is saying. Whether you are the nation of Israel, whether you're one of the leaders, those of you who are serious about your faith, for all three of you groups, I got a message from God. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. If it's repeated three times, it's important. Why do you want to trust him? Because three times he gives you a promise also. Three times you got an exhortation. Three times you got a promise, and here's the promise. The Lord is your what? Help and shield. He's your protector. He's your defender. And he says it three times. Whether you're Israel, whether you're a leader, whether you're a true believer, if you're Israel, if you're seeking, come to God. He's your help, your shield. If you're a believer, trust in your God. He's your help, your shield. If you're in leadership, model it. He's your help, your shield, your protector, your defender. Remember the context we studied last week. The idol that Darren and I made and the idols that they were making, could they protect anybody? Could they defend anybody? Could they do anything? No. So he's saying to them, spiritually, if you want to thrive, you want to understand life, you want to have purpose and meaning and understand love and hope, trust in the Lord because he will protect you, he will defend you, he will always be there for you. He's all you need. You trust him. He's our trust. But secondly, in verse 12, he's our blessing. Verse 12. The Lord has been mindful of us. 
He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he's given to the children of men. The Lord, verse 12, look at it again. The Lord has been mindful of us. He's remembered us. Verses 12 and 13, he will bless us. I love verse 13, both small and great. Here's what he's saying. You don't have to be a descendant of Aaron for God to bless you. If you're small, well, you're great. The Lord will bless you. He will remember you. I love when you study scripture and you just let it say what it says. When you study the writings in the epistles of the apostles, the epistles of the apostles, let's say that. And it talks about how many believers are priests. Every single one of them. Some of us have titles. Some of us God has given as leadership to the church, and that's the way he structured it. But God doesn't bless us more just because we're pastor, teachers, or elders. What he wants from every believer is to understand you're a priest. You represent the king of kings. And in Paul in Corinthians said we're ambassadors for Christ. I love that phrase. I'm an ambassador of the king of kings. Again, he's all I need. So he says it to all three groups. Again, mentions them. All three groups. God is your blessing. Look at verse 14. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. In other words, the one who says to you, I will remember you. The one who says to you, I will bless you. The one who says to you, trust me. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. It's emphasized here. In other words, remember the context. You make your own idol, whatever it might be. How much power does your idol have? Zero. Zero. Try to do anything without power. It's frustrating. It's like last Saturday when we were out. I drove by here time after time after time. We didn't have any power. We didn't have any in our house for a while. And all day Saturday, we didn't have power to church. I'm thinking, well, we can't have church Sunday. There's no power. I can't look good up there without the lights on. No power. Here's what he's saying. I am omnipotent God. I'm your father, and I have all power. I am sovereign over the heavens. I created the universe. You're my child. Trust me, I can handle your problems. Trust me, I know how to bless you. But trust me, I'm always going to be there and take care of you, and I have the power to do what I tell you I'm going to do. I'm your blessing. Third, I'm your comfort. Verse 16. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. The earth is given to the children of men, but the earth God has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we, his children, will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. He's always with us. That's the great comfort. Direct quotes from Jesus Christ, which you've heard. This is why meditating on scripture is so cool. Jesus said in the Great Commission at the end of it, after saying, go into all the world and make disciples of me. What's the last thing he said before he left the planet? I'm with you always. He's in our midst right now because in the upper room discourse the night before, 40 days before he spoke the word I just quoted, he said these words. I'm going to send you another helper just like me, and he will be with you and in you. He's in our midst. We're the church. We're the body of Christ. We have the capacity, because he said, wait till the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and it has. We're in the church age. We're the chosen instrument to take that power out into the world and say to the world, let me tell you who my daddy is. Let me tell you how much God really loves you. Let me tell you who God is. We'll talk about this next week. We're going to talk about who God is and who God is not. And he's my dad. He's your dad. Quote from Jesus. I'm with you always. Second quote from Jesus. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Third quote from Jesus. 
I will not leave you orphans. I love that when he said that one in the upper room because they were terrified. He kept saying, let not your heart be troubled, let not your heart be troubled. Why did he keep saying that? Because their hearts were troubled. They didn't want him to leave. They, didn't, they were Jews. They expected the Messiah to overthrow Rome and set up the kingdom on earth. And he kept saying, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. They even believed that he wasn't the Messiah at that point, some of them. said, I guess I'll go back fishing. We were wrong. But then he rose from the dead. And it was like, ooh I guess he is who he said he was. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I will send you the helper. You know what Holy Spirit means in Greek? The, the paraclete, that word, you know what it means in Greek? It's the one who comes alongside to help when you need help. Wow. And he's always there. Always there. So verse 16, again. The heaven, the heavens are the Lord's. He created the earth Verse 16, the latter, latter part, he gave us the earth as a gift for us to manage, to use. You read about it in Genesis 1. Be fruitful and multiply. We've done some horrible things, but it's our stewardship. So here's the message, the context, verse 17. The dead do not praise the Lord. Now the context in which he says that he been talking about idols. Said they were dead. How many of those dead idols could be worshipped? The answer is none. So then he said to them, where we began today, if you are worshipping a dead idol, you're not worshipping God. But if you're worshipping me, I'm going to take care of you. You can trust me. I'm going to bless you. Verse 18, but we will bless the Lord. If we trust in the Lord, we'll bless him. How long? From this time on earth and forevermore, eternally. Here's the message he was trying to get across, and here's the encouragement I have for you today. The time that God gives you, me, us, the church age, until Jesus comes back, the time we have as individuals on planet earth is a privilege from God to glorify God or give a correct estimate of who God is, that he's not the idol you think he is. Let me tell you who he is. We've talked about that a lot. It's a privilege. We get to do that. Whatever our time is on planet Earth, we get to do that, and then we get to go to heaven and do it forever. Whenever our time ends of glorifying God on Earth, we then, after death, enter into the presence of God, and forever, infinity, we get the privilege of blessing, praising God in paradise because our God is all we need. He provided salvation. We enter into a relationship. We become his children. We're adopted into the family. He's all we need. And finally, four last quick points there on your handout. Again, from meditating on scripture, where's our God He's all we need. Number one, he's always with us in the midst of our storm, whatever it might be. Mark chapter 4 says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so it was already filling. The disciples are in this boat. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him, and he said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he arose, Jesus arose, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. That's who your God is. Think about that. He got up from his nap and told the wind what to do. He told the ocean, the Sea of Galilee, what to do. And they did what? Obeyed. They obeyed. Why? Because he made them. He spoke them into existence. He is God. He is the great I am. So whatever your storm is, Jesus is right there with you in it. The Holy Spirit is there with you. And if it needs to be calm, stop. He can handle that. He sure can. Peace, be still. Wow. Secondly, he's in the midst of your test, whatever it might be. Story of Abraham. Genesis 22, the Bible says, the angel Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, 
Do not lay your hand on the land or do anything to him. For now I know that you do, that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham proceeding to kill his son Isaac, who was the heir, the promised one. God said, this will be the heir. You know the story. And Abraham had the faith that I'm going to kill Isaac and I'm not leaving this mountain till God does what? Raises him from the dead because he is the heir. And to be the heir, he has to be alive. So God is either a liar or he's bringing Isaac back from the dead. And in the middle of that horrific moment as a father or as a parent, you think about you're going to slit the throat of your child because God told you to. What did God say in the middle of that test? Stop. I know you trust me. And by the way, if you read the story further, he provides a substitute. By the way, that picture is God provided a substitute for me. His name was Jesus Christ. He took my sin so that I didn't have to pay for it. In the midst of your fire, Daniel 3 King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and he spoke saying to the counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they said, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose. That's the key word in the entire passage, loose. Walking in the midst of the fire, they're not hurt and the form of the fourth is like the son of God or son of the gods is the literal Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and he spoke and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. We're not going to study that passage today. That is my favorite Old Testament passage, bar none. I love it. When you read it closely and you read on, it said not only did they come, they're walking around in the middle of a fire that was heated up seven times hotter than normal, heated to the point that when the guys that threw them in there were incinerated. That's how hot it was. They're walking around in the midst of the fire with Jesus. They're playing the hearts. They're just hanging out. Because Jesus is greater than the fire. Not only are they walking around loose in the middle of that fire, they're not hurt. And when they come out and they look at them, they don't even smell like smoke. All you got to do is get near a fire. You're going to smell like it. We got to get out of your house. You stunk for three. You got to get three of those clothes in the garage because you get that smell on them. They don't even smell like smoke. And by the way, the only thing that was burning the fire was the things they tied them up with. They burn off. So many messages God is sending in that moment. But beyond all of that, notice Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king who was worshipped as a god, and they'd been he had. They had sacked Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple and the Babylonians had taken them into captivity. They were owned now by the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar addressed their God as what? The most high God. God taught Nebuchadnezzar on several occasions, you ain't God, I am. And he got it finally. He got it. It wasn't just Nebuchadnezzar. It's every king in the book of Daniel gets it. That the God of the Hebrews is God. And he's all you need. Throw me in the fire furnace if you want to. And you study that closely prior. He said, they, Nebuchadnezzar said, is your God able to deliver? You know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said? He is able. But if he chooses not to, we'll still praise him. They still got put in the fire. In this particular case, God miraculously decided to bring them out. Read the history of the early church. Many, many martyrs were burned at the stake. But they glorified God in their death. Sometimes he chooses to save physically. Most of the time he does not. He doesn't stop being God, does he? Either way. Either way. He's still God. In the midst of your valley, we all know this passage. Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Whatever that valley is, and the valley of the shadow of death was a literal valley. They had to go through single file. There are times when you have to go through very difficult times. In that valley, maybe you, we're going to see in a moment, you come down off a mountain into a valley. It's just, it's horrible. The psalmist saying, David saying, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, surrounded by fearful things, I will not fear. Why? Because you're with me. You got the rod of the shepherd, 
you got the staff, you're going to comfort me, you're going to protect me, you're going to defend me. You're all I need. And then the last one, in the midst of our circumstances, from 1 Kings chapter 19, God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a still, small voice. And so it was, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face, he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out, and he stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? This happened in Elijah's life after one of the most incredible moments any of the prophets ever had. We had this great victory over 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, where God just miraculously showed up at his prayer. 450 pagan prophets, just Elijah, and he prays to his God. You know the story. Miraculously, God shows up. Just after that, Elijah is running scared from Jezebel that she's going to kill him. And he actually gets to the point that he prays to die. Prays to die. And so God finally speaks to him in a still small voice and says, what are you doing? Remember just like yesterday I was with you there on Mount Carmel, what we did with the prophets of Baal? Have you forgotten that already? Trust me. Trust me. The Westminster Catechism it's a lot of insight into the Word of God. And in the shorter catechism, it says, quote, what's the chief end of man? And the answer given is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The Apostle Paul said, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So you see the bottom of your handout is the result of where your God is and who he is. He's all you need. Trust him, praise him, worship, and glorify him and him alone, because no idol, no idol can ever satisfy. You bow your heads, we're going to pray, and then we're going to enter in time with the Lord's Supper together. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for who you are, for saving us, for the very fact that you're God, that you alone are God. And so, Lord, we pray as we, as the body of Christ, enter into a time celebrating the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we will remember who he is, what he did, and the fact that he's all we need, that our God is wherever we are, whatever our circumstances, our fire, our valley, our mountaintop, you're always there, always working good, that we will remember the body and the blood of Jesus and leave here proclaiming his death till he comes back. We pray in his name. Amen. We're going to share the Lord's Supper together. The guys are going to come serve you. You do not have to be a member or a regular attender of Christ Church to share the Lord's Supper. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a Christian, this is for you. This is his table. So pass it to the person next to you and just hold the elements. We'll take them together at the end and spend this time alone, just you and God, talking to him and thanking him for who he is, Jesus specifically, what he did for you. So I'm going to give the elements to them. And as the worship team leads us, you pass them amongst yourself.
Paul wrote to the church at Corinth the following words. I received the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's pray. Father, we pause before you again, realizing and thank, thanking you. We've been reminded again from your word that you're all we need. In the most difficult of circumstances, we just crawl up in the arms of our dad and relax. We trust you because of your perfect love, your perfect will. You're always at work. And so as we think of the body broken for us by Jesus Christ, broken for us that we could be saved, the blood that was spilled so that our the price could be paid for our sins. We're excited about that. Corporately, as the body of Christ, we proclaim the Lord's death. And I pray as we leave individually, we would do the same. Wherever we go, all the different places that we will go, we proclaim Jesus' death till he returns. We pray in his name. Amen. A couple of things I want to mention to you, and then I'm going to have who's closest to the front. Everybody's hiding. Steve is up here, so he can pray. He thought he could get away with it, but I'll have Steve close us in prayer. It's a couple of things I want to mention to you before we do that. Number one, we started back our Wednesday night program last week, so if you're interested and you, and you do not, if you want to come eat, the food is incredible. We're going to eat at 6 o'clock. Bible study starts at 6.30, and the students are across the street, and children here, and I'll have my Bible study in here, and there's a small group. So Wednesday night, you'd like to come and be part of that. Uh, again, we've started that back on Wednesday nights. Wednesday happens on Wednesday, Randy. That's good. That's good. Thank you. And uh, just a little, another little thing I want to mention to you, and then a couple of things, and we're done. Jim Cole, one of our elders, has put together a trip for adults. If you're interested, you can see me, but they're going to go to, got a really good price on a trip down to the southern part of Florida. It's some historic things. So uh, if you're interested in that, there's some information at the little kiosk thing in the middle of the auto, uh, lobby. Or if you want to see me, I'll, I'll put you in touch with Jim. So if you're interested in that, you can see me afterwards or pick up information there. Uh, they're going to be doing a, a, an equipped training next Sunday afternoon, 5 o'clock at the Bartlett campus for any of our leaders. If you'd like to be in leadership, teaching, or a small group, that kind of thing, that's going to be next week at 5 o'clock at the Bartlett campus. Finally, if you're, <laughs> and you're thinking, ooh, good, finally. If you're visiting with us today. Thank you for choosing to, to worship here. We are honored that you have chosen. If you've got questions, you could put it on the connect card at the black box and drop it in there, and, and I will follow up with you. If uh, uh, you have any interest at all, want to know what is a Christ church, I'd love to talk to you about that. For all of us and the visitors, we do not expect you to give. You're our guests. For the rest of you, the Christ church family, please uh, faithfully continue to give and, and pray for your leadership. And uh, it's got some exciting things coming, and, and next Sunday we'll just, we've got a nice big announcement that we will be sharing with you next Sunday that we think the Lord is doing in our midst, and uh, it's something that we're all going to be part of, whether you want to be or not. We're all going to be part of what God is doing. We're excited about it. So please stand, and Steve's going to close us in prayer.